Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and the Arkansas black bear sitting next to me is Ellen. Rar. <laughs> so you've, you've given up on the accents, huh? Yep. Let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered the first half of Chapter 10, Luna Lovegood and the somewhat corresponding film scenes. The Order turns a simple trip to King's Cross Station into way more of a production than it needed to be. Stir-crazy Gary Oldman risks everything for the opportunity to give Harry a super disturbing addition to his photo album. Ron and Hermione leave Harry to fend for himself while they tend to their prefect duties. Luna states the obvious, but in the way only she can. And Neville reminds us to never poke a herpes cactus. During episode 134, the Harry Serious moment, our Potter pondering was, what exactly was the point of separating all the kids on the trip to King's Cross Station in Order of the Phoenix? Hey guys, Mike. Just calling in to say that I think the only reason they separated to get to the train was that Moody's a paranoid old control freak, and there's really not much more to it. I think that was just him being crazy again. Anyway, that's it for me. Bye. Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter Pondering. Why did the kids have to travel separately to King's Cross Station? I don't know. Little thought. Maybe they had to stagger the departures to not draw attention to, you know, the whole Order Harry's Guard ensemble just busting out of a hidden location under the Fidelius charm, just popping up on the block out of nowhere. Ain't the whole point of them being hidden a thing? Maybe. Just me thinking and hoping that it has a purpose and not just JK doing stuff because JK be doing shit. Hey Ellen, hey Katie, Jackson here with this week's Pondering. So why did they have to take the kids to King's Crossing groups? Look, I think it's just the uncertainty. You know, the order might be more prepared this time but it is still a time of uncertainty, of a lot of danger. You know, Death Eaters and all are still operating in secrecy. Most of the Wizarding World doesn't seem to believe that Voldemort's back or doesn't want to believe it. And travelling in a big group all at once possibly just seemed like the more risky option. So, yeah, I know their main priority is Harry, but having a massive group around him, they probably felt like it made him an easier target. You spot more people together. So smaller groups, less conspicuous. That's my thoughts. Hi, this is Kendra. I'm calling in my Potter pondering. The question was like, what was the purpose of the kids traveling alone and was it necessary? So my thoughts, was that they didn't want to all leave at the same time because they were staying at 12 Grimmauld's place. So they were staying at somewhere where they were trying to keep a secret. 
I imagine if however many kids and adults all popped out at the same time, that would be a little bit too much like a, hey, look at over here, you know, here we are. So that was my main thought on that was it was just a way to keep their location secret, but also possibly like if there really was going to be an attack and there's a whole bunch of kids and a whole bunch of, you know, protectors, for the protector's sake, I would think that would be a little hard to kind of like try to worry about all the kids at once. So then if you just have like one with one, you know, you're more focused. So that was a strategy kind of thought I had. Anyways, so I thought it was a good idea. But I do want to point out something about it. So Harry is obviously the one who's the most in danger. I mean, he would be the main one to worry about. Do you notice that they sent him with Tonks and Mrs. Weasley? Like, I don't know about you, but like automatically, I would just think, oh, they would send him with Mad-Eye Moody or, I don't know, Kingsley Shackle. So what I think when I realized that, which I just realized when you guys were reading about it again, was that Mrs. Weasley is probably more of a badass than we even realize. That's all. All right, bye. Hi, this is Jessica calling in my pondering. I finally caught up on all the episodes, so I'm finally getting to call in and say my piece. As for this pondering, whether they should have split up and whether that made sense or not, it didn't really make sense because of the way that they did it. Like, they all showed up at the same time anyway. And everyone knew that Harry was going to be heading to King's Cross to go back to school. So it really didn't make any sense. Obviously, like you talked about later with the Seven Potters, the way that they did that made sense. But separating all the kids now just seemed totally pointless. So I can understand why the movie decided to just not do that, because it wasn't really needed. Loving you guys' podcast. Can't wait for the next episode. Bye! Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was, Who thinks Sirius Black is actually an alias for the lead singer of the Hobgoblins, Stubby Boardman? That would be Doris Perkis. Which is quite the name. It is. It doesn't flow very well, I have to say. Yeah, kind of awkward. Mm-hmm. But congratulations goes to both Dave Garza and Jackson Miller. Woohoo! Woohoo! That was two. Yeah, two it makes sense. As far as we could tell, this was a complete tie. Mm-hmm. According to Dave, Jackson's had already posted while his was still saying posting. But according to Jackson, Dave actually spelled the name properly when he missed the second S on Perkis. So, I mean... So, both said the other actually won, and therefore they both won. That sounds fair to me. We've never really counted spelling anyway. No. So. No, we haven't. It's a tie. Mm-hmm. Two wahoos for the twos. <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder who's going to win this week. We shall see. For now, let's just keep rolling into the second half of Chapter 10, Luna Lovegood, and the sort of corresponding film scenes. Chapter 10, Luna Lovegood, Part 2. After they have been on the train for about an hour, Ron and Hermione turn up to join them and fill them in on the other prefects. Harry correctly guesses that Malfoy is the Slytherin prefect, and Hermione informs him that the other Slytherin is Pansy Parkinson. Ernie McMillan and Hannah Abbott are the Hufflepuff prefix, and Anthony Goldstein and Padma Patel are the Ravenclaw ones. Luna speaks up to tell Ron that he went to the Yule Ball with Padma, and when everyone turns to look at her, she also tells him that she didn't enjoy it very much since he wouldn't dance with her, though she doesn't think she would have minded since she doesn't really like dancing. 
Ron looks to his sister for an explanation, but she is again trying to stop herself from giggling and can't say anything. Instead, Ron turns back to Harry and Neville and explains that they have to patrol the corridors every so often and can give out punishments to people who are misbehaving. He says he's looking forward to getting Crabbe and Goyle for something, and Hermione reminds him that he is not supposed to abuse his position. Ron explains that he just wants to get Malfoy's mates before he gets his, and jokes that he'll make Goyle do lines since he hates writing. He screws up his face in imitation, saying, I must not look like a baboon's backside. This gets a laugh from everyone, though no one laughs as hard as Luna, who does so to the point that Ron thinks she's making fun of him. As everyone watches her laugh and clutch her ribs, Harry glances down and sees her magazine on the floor, noticing a fairly bad cartoon of Cornelius Fudge and the titles of several other articles. Corruption in the Quidditch League, How the Tornadoes Are Taking Control, Secrets of the Ancient Runes Revealed, and the one that really catches Harry's attention, Sirius Black, Villain or Victim. He asks Luna if he can take a look at it, and when she nods, he flips the magazine open and scans it until he finds the article that he realizes Kingsley must have wanted Mr. Weasley to share with Sirius. It's titled, Sirius, Black as He's Painted? Notorious Mass Murderer or Innocent Singing Sensation? He has to read this several times to make sense of it and has no idea what it means. He goes on to read the article and is even more confused to see that a woman named Doris Perkis is declaring that Sirius Black is actually a false name and he is really the lead singer of the popular singing group The Hobgoblins named Stubby Boardman. She insists that Stubby could not have committed those crimes because on the day in question, he was actually enjoying a romantic candlelit dinner with her. Harry wonders if the article is a joke and flips to the one about the minister, where he reads a claim that Fudge's dearest ambition is to seize control of the goblin gold supplies and that he will not hesitate to use force if need be. The article also claims that he's had goblins drowned, dropped off buildings, poisoned, and cooked in pies. Harry is sure at this point that the magazine is full of nonsense and flips through it a bit more, also finding an article about ancient runes that at least explains why Luna was reading it upside down, since the article claims that turning the runes upside down reveals a spell to turn enemies' ears into kumquats. Ron asks if there is anything good in there, but before Harry can answer, Hermione speaks up to say, of course not, and calls the quibbler rubbish. Luna informs her that her father is the editor, and an embarrassed Hermione tries to backpedal, but Luna asks Harry for her magazine back. She snatches it, turns it upside down, and disappears behind it just as their compartment door opens again. This time, it's Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle showing up to give Potter a hard time for being second best to Weasley. Hermione tells him to shut up, and Malfoy smirks that he's struck a nerve and tells Potter to watch himself because he'll be dogging his footsteps in case he steps out of line. Hermione stands and tells them to get out. They do, sniggering as they go, and Harry and Hermione exchange glances, unnerved by the dogging comment. Ron, who doesn't seem to have noticed, asks for another chocolate frog. Since they can't speak freely in front of Neville and Luna, Harry and Hermione just exchange another nervous look and stare out the window. 
Harry wonders if it could have just been a coincidence, but he also thinks that Hermione was right and Sirius should not have gone to the train station. The Malfoys could have noticed the big black dog and realized who it was, and now may know where Sirius is hiding. The weather is very spotty for the remainder of the trip, going from rain to sun to cloudy. As darkness begins to fall, Luna puts away her magazine and begins to stare at everyone in the compartment instead. Hermione suggests they change into their robes, and once set, she and Ron pin their prefect badges to the front of them. When the train begins to slow down, Ron and Hermione have to go supervise departing the train, leaving Harry and the others with Crookshanks and Pigwidgeon. Luna offers to carry Pigwidgeon, and they shuffle out of their compartment, joining the crowd in the corridor. When they step out onto the platform, Harry listens for Hagrid's familiar call for the first years, but instead he hears a very different, brisk female voice. He asks where Hagrid is, and Ginny tells him that she doesn't know, but they need to move so they aren't blocking the door. They become separated as they move along the platform through the crowd. Harry continues to look for Hagrid, as he was one of the things Harry was most looking forward to returning to Hogwarts, but there is no sign of him. He instead starts looking around for Ron and Hermione, glancing quickly over the horseless carriages before doing a double take, realizing that they are no longer horseless. The creatures standing between the carriage shafts aren't exactly like horses, since there is something sort of reptilian about them. They are completely fleshless, black coats clinging to their skeletons showing every bone. Their heads are dragonish with white, pupilless eyes. They also have black, leathery, bat-like wings and look very sinister. Harry isn't sure why they are pulling the carriages when they have previously pulled themselves, but his thoughts about it are interrupted when Ron shows up looking for Pig. Harry explains that the Luna girl has him and asks Ron what he thinks about Hagrid's absence. Ron isn't sure and is also worried, but they are distracted by Hermione's arrival and rant about how horrible Malfoy was being to a first year. She then asks about Crookshanks and learns that Ginny has him. They find her in the crowd and then go to get a carriage before they all fill up, reminding Harry about the strange skeletal horses pulling them. He asks Ron what he reckons they are, but Ron has no idea what he's talking about. They are briefly sidetracked from the conversation when Luna shows up with Pig, then they make their way towards a carriage and continue talking about the strange horse things that Ron can't seem to see. He wonders if Harry is feeling okay, and a very confused Harry stares dumbfoundedly at the strange creature right in front of him. Luna speaks up to reassure him that she can see them too, explaining that they have always pulled the carriages. She tells him that he is just as sane as she is, which doesn't really make Harry feel better about the whole thing. The movie section starts out as Harry slowly shakes his head as if to clear the dream about Voldemort from his brain and rests his head back on the seat as the camera slowly zooms out. Hermione sits in the seat in between him and Ron and glances at him, holding a book in her lap as she exhales and looks over towards Ron. The scene transitions again, showing the Hogwarts Express traveling along the tracks, over water and through rolling hills. The camera pans over the landscape, showing Hogwarts Castle far off in the distance, before shifting to the trio walking alongside the train at Hogsmeade Station. Draco Malfoy walks up behind them, closely followed by Crabbe and Goyle. He begins taunting Potter about the trouble he was in with the Ministry, provoking Harry to lunge at him when he says he expects there's a cell in Azkaban with his name on it. Ron holds him back and Malfoy calls him a complete nutter as he and his cronies walk away. 
Harry yells after him to just stay away from him, and Ron attempts to comfort him by reminding him that it's only Malfoy, wondering what he expected. He lets Harry go, and he and Hermione exchange looks and watch as Harry starts to walk away, and then follow him. Another scene change shows them walking up to the carriages, and Harry sees Cho Chang sitting with some friends on one that is just about to start moving. She smiles at him as their carriage takes off, and the trio stop to wait for another one, watching as it moves further away. Neville walks up and greets them, carrying an oddly lumpy potted plant. They say hi back to him, but Harry is distracted by the arrival of another carriage and the clomping of hooves. He turns to look behind him and is surprised to see a skeletal, reptilian-looking horse pulling the carriage. As he stands there, looking shocked, he asks what it is. The others turn to look, and the camera angle shifts to a view of the carriage from behind them, showing a blonde girl sitting in it, but no longer anything in front of it. Ron asks Harry what is wrong, and he again asks what is pulling the carriage. Hermione tells him that nothing is pulling the carriage. It's pulling itself, like always. Harry cautiously walks past the creature, which is again visible, as he gives it a wide berth and refuses to take his eyes off of it. He approaches the carriage, closely followed by Ron, Hermione, and Neville, who have no idea what he is looking at, and is then addressed by the blonde girl in the carriage. She lowers a magazine that she is reading upside down and assures Harry that he's not going mad, informing him that she can see them too, and he's just as sane as she is. So this was an interesting episode to organize? Because they managed to give us the barest bone of information from this half of the book chapter and also in a completely different way. (laughs) You said bone. You're welcome. (laughs) Yeah, the movie streamlines a lot here. And it just starts as Harry shakes the terrible vision of Voldy wearing last season's J. Crew modern fit reject suit out of his head and sits back against the seat as we see Hermione and Ron coming in to take a seat next to him. She looks at him warily, but Harry just moodily stares straight ahead, not even acknowledging them. So, it looks like it's going to be a really fun train ride for them. Which is not accurate to the book, because it was fun. It was a little weird, but it was still fun. Mm-hmm. And he still had that, like, whole, I'm excited, I'm going back to Hogwarts. Right, I'm going Yay. home. Yay. But this, it's... Moody. Yeah. Nope. He's just fucking... Man, I had a bad dream about Voldemort in a suit. Like, because for some reason I'm sleeping on the Hogwarts Express, and apparently I drank Polyjuice potion because I've turned into Moody. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Moving on. Luckily, though, our torment doesn't last long because we don't actually have to witness the awkward train wreck that is the train ride to Hogwarts. Because the movie powers that be just straight up montage us there in record time. Oh, they love montages in this movie. They do. And I hate them for it. (laughs) I mean, if you're not going to put in what was in the book, because imagine what would have been in there had they not montaged this. Uh Uh-huh. Just awkward staring and Harry being grumpy. and... And some good moments. They wouldn't have put those in, Ellen. Boo. That's adorable that you have such high hopes. But they should have. Well, no shit. But instead, it's all the excitement of a trip through the Highlands without any of the dull character development. Because who wants that? Me. And everybody else, yes. And boy, did the book have character development. Mm Mm-hmm. We talked about some of it last week, and there is more to be had this week. Because this part of the book and movie do sort of line up. A little bit. 
sort of. We pick up this half of the book chapter after about an hour when Ron and Hermione turn up to join them and fill them in on the other prefix. So you can almost imagine that that movie scene was Harry fell asleep because he was in a compartment by himself because Ron and Hermione had to go do prefix stuff and they were just getting back from that and they woke him up. Exactly. However... (laughs) That's not how it happened in the movie. <laughs> That's not how it looked. That's for sure. Which also is not how it happened in the book. So yeah, because there was no mention of the whole prefect thing. No, not at all. And since there was no mention of the whole prefect thing, we also didn't get all of the extra stuff about how Malvoy's the Slytherin prefect mm-hmm. and nope. that the pug like Pansy Parkinson is the other one because they do a male and a female from each house. Mm-hmm. Ernie McMillan and Hannah Abbott are the Hufflepuff prefects. No surprise. Right. And Anthony Goldstein and Padma Patel are the Ravenclaw ones. Also no surprise there. Considering that those are like basically the only other names we know from those houses, right? Right. (laughs) Sticking with what we know. Right. That's what we do. Like, who was sorted in the first book? Let's just use them. Perfect. That's all. Yeah. At the mention of Padma, though, Luna speaks up and is just like, you went to the U-Ball with her to run. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Who's just like, yeah. I know. (laughs) And everybody turns and looks at Luna and Luna's just like, she said she didn't enjoy it very much because you wouldn't dance with her. But I don't think I would have minded because I don't like dancing. See, I find that hard to believe. Right? (laughs) (laughs) I think Luna just doesn't mind dancing by herself is what it ends up being. Yeah. So she wouldn't have minded because she'd have been off doing her own dance anyhow. Absolutely. And Ron's just there like, what the fuck? <laughs> and he looks over to Ginny, who's the only one who actually knows this girl in the books anyway. Yeah. And he's just like questioning, looking at her mm-hmm. all in his face because he doesn't want to say anything out loud. And Ginny is just trying so hard not to giggle that she can't even speak. <laughs> yeah. So it's just this whole weird, like awkward. Okay, this chick's so strange. Did she just say she wanted me to take her to the dance? I Like, I don't know what's happening right now. Yeah. Did she at the same time call me a bad date, but then I'd be a good date for her? What's going on? I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know what the deal is right now. So Ron just gives up trying to figure that out and turns back to Harry and Neville. And he's just like, yep, so we got to patrol the corridors every so often, do our prefect duty, but we get to give out punishments to people who mess up. And he especially can't wait to get Crab and Goyle for something. And then, of course, you've got Hermione, who's just, "Ah, Ronald's. Even though that's more of a movie thing, but that's just what I like to imagine. Ronald, we're not Uh, supposed to abuse our positions. I mean, would it really be abusing it, though? Because odds are Crab and Goyle would be doing bad shit anytime you saw them. Right. Yeah. And Ron's whole point is he just wants to get Malfoy's mates before Malfoy has a chance to go after his. Yeah. Because you know Malfoy is going to abuse it. You know that he's going to. And he's also going to make Goyle do lines because he hates writing. And he does this whole impression of Goyle trying to do lines and he screws up his face. And he does the pause in between each word with how Mm -hmm. long it would take him to write it out. And he's just like, I must not look like a baboon's backside. (laughs) And I really, really would have loved to see Rupert Grint do this. I'm not going to lie. If I were Rupert Grint, I would have sued based on the fact I didn't get to say this in the movie. I'm just saying. I would have done it anyway and just... (laughs) Hoped that it maybe made it in. Right, just for funsies. Because it's amazing. Mm -hmm. And of course, everybody laughs at it. Because it's hilarious. But none more so than Luna, 
who just completely loses her shit. And she's laughing so hard, clutching her stomach, doubled over, <laughs> repeating Papoon's backside, just losing it to the point <laughs> that Ron's just like, are you taking the Mickey? Like, he's like, yeah. are you you're fucking with me? You're fucking with me, right? Like, there's <laughs> no way. Like, you just kind of implied you wanted to be my date to a dance and now you're laughing at my joke like it's the funniest thing you've ever heard in your entire life what is happening right now personally i think she just really likes alliteration it's entirely possible because i'm with her there right baboon's Baboon's backside backside. that's funny shit (sighs) and fun to say baboon's backside baboon's backside babbling bumbling band of baboon's backsides (laughs) (laughs) very nice mcgonagall would be proud wouldn't she though but while everybody's watching her laugh like a hyena, mm-hmm. Harry happens to glance down and see her magazine that has fallen to the floor in her hysterics. And he notices a fairly bad cartoon mm-hmm. of corny fudge. And there's also several other titles of articles next to it. Mm-hmm. Like Corruption in the Quidditch League, How the Tornadoes Are Taking Control, Secrets of the Ancient Runes Revealed, and the one that really gets him. Serious Black, villain or victim? Now that is some wordplay I can get behind. Right? And Harry has to read that and be like, oh my God, somebody's publishing that he's innocent? Mm-hmm. And he probably totally gets his hopes up here that his dog father is going to be cleared. Right? So he asks if he can look at the magazine because he really wants to check out this article. And she nods and he flips it open and he's starting to like look through things and realizes when he comes across the actual title of the article... That this has to be what Kingsley wanted Mr. Weasley to give to Sirius. Because the title is Sirius. Black as he's painted? Notorious mass murderer? Or innocent singing sensation? I mean, that's an eye-catching title. It sure is. And he has to read it multiple times. Probably just like, what? It, what does this even mean? Singing sensation? I don't think Sirius sings. I don't like what? <laughs> what is this article? What don't I know about Sirius? So he actually goes on to read the article. And it's an interview with a woman named Doris Perkis, who is insisting that Sirius Black is a false name. He's actually the lead singer of the Hobgoblins named Stubby Boardman. Which was our trivia question. It sure was. Mm -hmm. And also still a terrible name. It's still a terrible name. What are you going to do? Doris Parkus and Stubby Boardman. Stubby Boardman's badass. I'm sorry. <laughs> Stubby Boardman is cool as hell. If you say so. Doris Perkis, that just doesn't flow. But Doris Perkis insists that Stubby could not have committed those crimes because on the day in question, he was actually enjoying a romantic candlelit dinner with her. I mean, that would be a very good alibi. It would. A romantic candlelit, it obviously didn't go anywhere or she'd know that this is not the same person. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe she wouldn't. Who knows? And Harry's just like, is this some kind of joke? (laughs) And Harry's looking through this article thinking, am I being punked? (laughs) I mean, in a manner of speaking, sure. Yeah. So he decides to flip through it more to find other articles and comes across one about the minister, which... This article reads hilariously. Like, I don't know who's actually doing the writing. I don't know if Xenophilius Lovegood is just the editor or if he writes his own articles for it, too. Mm -hmm. Because 
it's talking about his dearest ambition is to seize control of the goblin gold supplies and he won't hesitate to use force if need be. But it's all of this, like, it'll say one thing about him that might be positive and then it goes, but does he? (laughs) (laughs) Something else that might be positive, but is he? (laughs) And it's all like capital letters and it just cracks me up. But it is a terrible writing style. Mm hmm. Or is it? <laughs> it is. <laughs> that one's not a question. <laughs> so this article about Fudge also claims that he's had goblins drowned, dropped off buildings, poisoned, and cooked in pies. Or has he? Or has he indeed? <laughs> Corny Fudge is the new Sweeney Todd. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> Apparently. And Harry's la- cooked in pies? Harry reads that and is just... No. Corny Fudge is not having goblins cooked in pies. Or is he? Or is he? He's just really doubting that. Mm -hmm. And he figures that this whole magazine has got to be nonsense. So he just, again, flips through it some more, trying to find anything that makes any sense at all. And the most sense that he can make out of it is the article about the ancient runes that at least explains why Luna was reading it upside down. Sure. Because it claims that... If you turn the runes upside down, it reveals a spell to turn your enemy's ears into kumquats. I'd be down with that spell. Because it's not, like, hurtful. I don't imagine it would hurt to have your ears be kumquats. Become kumquats? Become kumquats. <laughs> Become kumquats. But at the same time, like, you're getting, you know... Revenge? Revenge, yeah. The question is, can you still hear through a kumquat? If you make a little hole in it. <laughs> <laughs> or does it turn it into an ear-shaped kumquat that you can eat? I mean, technically, you could eat any ear. Just ask Mike Tyson. Moving this conversation's on. <laughs> getting really eerie. <laughs> oh, fuck you. We're moving on now. <laughs> yes, so Ron wants to know if there's anything good in the magazine. And before Harry can say anything, Hermione says, of course not. The quibbler's rubbish. And Luna speaks up just to say, excuse me, my father is the editor. Awkward. And if you've ever seen Hermione shove her whole foot in her mouth, Uh this was the moment. Yes. Because she tries to backpedal. She tries to say, oh, I'm sure it has some very good But Luna's done. She just looks at Harry and says, give me my magazine back and basically snatches it from his hand. Mm -hmm. So basically what we're learning is the fact that this is essentially the onion of the wizarding world. Except the onion means to do that. Yeah. This is a serious onion. This is a serious onion. (laughs) But she turns the magazine back upside down, disappears behind it, and it's just in time for the compartment door to open up again. Tell us who's our mystery guest, Ellen. It's the Injustice League trio. (laughs) Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle. They want to give Harry a hard time for being second best to Weasley. I mean... To step in their shoes for a minute. Yeah. How do you not? It's not like it's something that nobody else already thought. Right? I'm just saying. And it's Malfoy, Crab, and Goyle. Yeah. They gotta have something to pick on him for. How do you ignore this? Granted, I mean, it's shooting fish in a barrel. It's very much like, it's the easy joke to take. Yes, but we also know that Nazi von Duschbank the second and the first, they're not very good at insults. No, they're not. Which is why when one is handed to you on, on a, a platter, on a silver fucking platter, you gotta go for it. I mean, you don't gotta, but he's gotta, he's go, gotta for it. go for it. Thank you. 
Hermione tells him to shut up and Nazi von Douchebag the second realizes that he struck a nerve and tells Potter to watch himself because he'll be dogging his footsteps in case he steps out of line. And I think that he said dogging just like that. I think he was really emphasizing that word. (laughs) Yeah. Hermione then stands and tells him to get out, which they actually do, sniggering the whole time. I mean, they've said what they needed to say. Right. If they stayed there any longer, it would just reveal how bad they are at insults. Yeah. So leave on a high note, I guess. On one hand, you kind of got to give it to them. At least they knew when to make the exit. Right. Dogging. Mic drop. Definitely. Bye. Yeah. At this dogging comment, Harry and Hermione look at each other and exchange worried glances because they're pretty quick and know what that means. Mm Mm-hmm. And with the way that he said it, clearly he was emphasizing it on purpose. Oh, yeah. Even though it's fully just headcanon that it came out like that. I mean, it's italicized in the book, but... It's, it's canon. I'm sorry. That's that's canon. He meant it exactly the way we all heard it in our heads. <laughs> right? But then there's Ron, who doesn't seem to have noticed, and just wants another chocolate frog. Because it's Ron. Right. I mean, plus he's probably still freaked out by Luna being Luna, so... Fair enough. I'll give him that that one. Yeah. But since none of them can speak freely in front of Luna or Neville, Harry and Hermione just exchange another look and stare out the window because now they're worried about Sirius and the Malfoys knowing who he's with, Mm -hmm. but they can't say anything. So we have now hit that awkward stare out the window moment that we did sort of see in the movie. Sure, but with zero context in the movie. That was not a ding. No. (laughs) That was a coincidence. We are not counting that at all. Harry wonders if maybe saying dogging was just a coincidence, but since he said it like that, I highly doubt it. No, not so much. And he's starting to worry that Hermione was right and Sirius should not have gone to the train station with them. Duh. Especially since you know that Wormtail could have told Malfoy... Yeah. That Sirius can turn into a great big black dog and then a great big black dog shows up at the train station with Harry. I'm pretty sure that Nazi von Douchebag the first can add two plus two comes up with Sirius was the black dog. Seriously. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, how do I put this? Basically not a goddamn bit of that happens in the movie at all. Partially because we haven't even met Luna yet. And also because Neville and Ginny aren't with them, at least not that we see. Right. But also because, like I said before, we skipped the awkward train wreck that is the train ride to Hogwarts. But we do have an encounter with Malfoy. We do still get that. A little bit. But it just happens after they've exited the train. So, ish. Ishy-ish. Very ishy. Yes. (laughs) While walking down the platform to the carriages, good old Nazi von Douchebag II comes up behind them with Crab and Goyle bringing up the rear. He begins taunting Harry about his legal troubles over the summer since his daddy didn't get the opportunity to that day at the ministry, as we know in the movie. And, I mean, someone has to. It would have been really satisfying if he had also called him Patronus Potter. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, the little shit didn't get the memo that Harry is on a hormonal roller coaster and takes it just a step too far, causing Harry to lunge at him. Which is kind of a half-hearted lunge, but what are you going to do? And not at all what really happens in the book, because it's Hermione Mm -hmm. who really tells him to shut up and get out. Yeah. Harry just sort of ignores him. 
Yeah, for once, they actually kind of gave Ron a Hermione moment. Yeah. Which is weird. Odd. Yeah. Hmm. Also, it wasn't like, you know, a good, like, shut up. It was just, you know, holding Harry back. And VD the second, because I can't say Nazi von douchebags so many times in one episode. Well, now he sounds like a venereal disease. Isn't he, though? Fair enough. (laughs) He's the product of unprotected sex at some point. So... VD the second, he just states some obvious shit and runs away like the bitch that he is. Because that's what he does. Par for the course. Yeah. Harry shouts for Malfoy to stay away from him just a few seconds too late, and it makes him look really lame. Yeah, again, Harry is master of ignoring the shit in the book. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He eventually hits a point where he can't anymore. But he doesn't give a fuck what Malfoy says in the book. Yeah. He doesn't even speak when he comes into the compartment. Yeah. He's just like, this motherfucker, whatever. Hermione's got this. Yeah. I'm over this. I'm over this right now. I have other things to be moody about. But not in the movie. But not in the movie. He's moody about everything. Caps Lock Harry and whatnot. I mean, he's Caps Lock Harry in the book too, but not at this moment. He's not. No. But Ron lets him go and asks what the hell he expected since the shitty insults are pretty much Malfoy's signature move. But Harry gives zero fucks and starts to walk ahead of them as Ron and Hermione exchange a look that says, it's gonna be a long fucking year, isn't it? Before they follow after him. Yeah. Because what else are you gonna do? I mean, and it is. Yeah. They're like, oh my god, I'm tired of this shit already. It starts. (laughs) Yes. It continues. (laughs) (laughs) So we then see Cho Chang looking back as her carriage starts off down the road while poor Harry watches with no trolley to cover his awkward boner. Sad. So sad. Ron and Hermione come up behind him and both pointedly don't look down, hoping that if they don't see the tent Harry is pitching, it won't actually exist. Right? Picks or it didn't happen. Exactly. Except this is more like witnesses or it didn't happen. Mm Mm-hmm. Don't look down. Whatever you do, don't look down. Straight ahead. Straight ahead. Straight ahead. (laughs) But on the plus side, at least... Harry isn't covered in stink sap, like his brief encounter with Cho Chang in the book. There is that, yes. There is also a bit more that happens in the book chapter before they get off the train. You know, when you don't montage it. Right. Mm-hmm. So we find out that the weather is on its own hormonal roller coaster, and it goes from rainy to sunny to cloudy, and then eventually turns dark because that's what happens at night. I mean, it's England. Right. So there's that. Luna puts away her magazine and just starts to stare at everybody in the compartment instead. So I'm sure that helps everything be super cool. That's totally chill. (laughs) Hermione says that they need to change into their robes, which they all do. And then she and Ron pin their prefect badges to the front of them. And Harry sees Ron check it out in the window because now it's dark and it works like a mirror. Mm -hmm. And then the train begins to slow down and Ron and Hermione have to go supervise everybody departing. So Harry and the others have Crookshanks and Pigwidgeon along with all of their stuff too. Mm -hmm. Luna offers to carry Pigwidgeon because she just thinks he's the cutest little thing. Well, he is. He really is. He's adorable. And they all shuffle out of their compartment into the crowd in the corridor, which I, for the life of me, don't understand. Like when the plane lands and everybody tries to stand up at once and it just becomes a clusterfuck. Yeah. Like why? Just stay in your seat until it's your turn. Mm -hmm. There's an order to things, people. Come on. When they step out onto the platform, Harry's listening for Hagrid's voice because he's super looking forward to seeing Hagrid. Mm-hmm. And he instead hears a very brisk female voice calling for the first years. And he's like, what the fuck? Where's Hagrid? 
Yeah. And he turns to Jenny. He says, what the fuck? Where's Hagrid? And she says, I don't know, but we have to move so we're not blocking the door. Yeah. Come on. Be courteous, Harry. Shit. And then they get separated as they're trying to move through the crowd. And Harry keeps looking for Hagrid and can't see him at all. And so then he starts looking around for Ron and Hermione and does like a quick glance over the horseless carriages before mm-hmm. glancing back over them and going, what the fuck? They're That's not, not horseless. horseless. Yeah. <laughs> There's a fucking horse there. Or Except there? it's not really yeah. a horse. It's sort of reptilian. Extremely skeletal. It's described as having no flesh. Which I don't understand what the coat is sticking to if there's no flesh. I don't know if they mean like no muscular system. It just sounds like nightmare fuel to me. Yes. No matter what. Completely fleshless. Black coats clinging to their skeletons showing every bone. <laughs> yeah, it is. What? What? <laughs> but their heads are sort of dragonish and their eyes are described to be completely white and pupilless, which I feel like would be such a stark contrast to the otherwise black bony Form. creatures. Yeah. Like that'd be pretty creepy. A face only a mother could love. Or Hagrid. Or Hagrid. <laughs> Newt probably too. Newt, definitely. But they also have black, leathery, bat like wings. So like you said, nightmare fuel. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, this basically happens in the movie, except, you know, for the part where it's damn near completely different. <laughs> this is when we actually see Neville, finally. He comes up with what looks like a potted cactus afflicted with elephantitis and greets the trio. That is what that cactus looks like. Right? Poor cactus. Hmm, sadness. They reciprocate the greeting, but Harry is caught off guard by the carriage that has just shown up behind them. When he turns and he sees what kind of looks like Ichabod Crane's missing horse. And just, ew. Nightmare fuel. Yeah. It's all bony and shiny and dead-eyed and whatnot. So, I mean, that's super fun. Super nightmare fuel. Super nightmare fuel. Definitely. And yes, that is slightly similar to the book. Mm -hmm. If only in the sense that Harry sees a creepy horse thing that no one else present seems to see. Yes. But it does also cut out some other details. Harry's not sure why they're pulling the carriages because they've previously pulled themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, why do we need these creepy horse things now? Yeah, what's going on with this? But then these thoughts about it are interrupted because Ron shows up and wants to know where Pig is, which I think is valid. Where's my fucking pet? Yeah, sure. Harry explains that that Luna girl has him and then says, what do you think about Hagrid? Where is he? Yeah, because if you look at a skyline and you don't see Hagrid, you're like, wait, what? And especially since this is now their fifth year at Hogwarts and he's always been there. Yeah. It's not like he can hide in a crowd. No. It'd be a feat if he could. It'd be a couple extra feet for sure. He'd have a job hiding. Oh, yeah. Ron says he's not sure and he's clearly also worried about it. Mm-hmm. But then they're distracted when Hermione shows up because she's ranting about how horrible Malfoy was being to a first year. Shocker. Right? What are you, new? Apparently. Apparently. And then naturally, she also wants to know where Crookshanks is. Mm-hmm. Finds out that Ginny has him, which is probably less concerning than Luna has. Definitely. <laughs> At least Ginny's in the same house. Right. They end up finding Ginny in the crowd and they make their way to the carriages before they all fill up. And as they are approaching the carriages again, Harry remembers the strange skeletal horses and like, what do you think those are? And Ron's like, what? The LOL, what? what? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? Wait, what? <laughs> Here's another basically similar part to the movie. 
Movie Harry asks what the fuck is up with the emaciated horsey bird, but when Hermione, Ron, and Neville turn to look, they see nothing but a carriage with a blonde girl sitting in it, which really makes Harry look like an asshole. Like, the fuck is that? The- She's a girl! Just- what do you mean? What's wrong with you? <laughs> That's so rude. <laughs> yeah, Ron's just like, what's wrong? And Harry's like, the thing, pulling the carriage, what the fuck is it? And Hermione tells him that nothing is pulling the carriage. It's pulling itself, like, always. And this always bugged me so much, because I'm like, yeah, because that's a much more logical situation, Hermione. It's amazing how Hermione accepts magic in some conditions, but then in others, she's just like, nope, it's not logical. Like, oh, gee, it's pulling itself like it always does, because that's the reasonable thing. Uh Uh-huh. Like, bitch, did you learn nothing from the second book? Apparently not. I mean, maybe, just maybe, if Harry says something is there, it is. I'm hearing voices. Nothing's there, Harry. I'm seeing a weird skeletal horsey thing. Nothing's there, Harry. I'm hearing voices. Nothing's there, Harry. After the mandrake is finally fucking potted and potioned out and shit and she's unpetrified. Oh, maybe there was something there. Hmm. Hmm. Weird. You solved it. Well, good for you. (laughs) But moving on. Harry just delivers some intense side eye to the creature, and he makes his way around it very cautiously. Very. Very good. Like, "Mm, I don't see you. You don't see me. It makes me wonder if anybody in the past has ever just run into him. I've heard the theory that someone said, like, maybe if you trip on something and there's nothing, you look back and there's nothing there. Maybe you tripped on, like, a dead thestral. That's super depressing. (laughs) Maybe it's It's just sleeping. Maybe you just caught its leg. Fine, okay, maybe it's one of those nicer options. (laughs) Or maybe we live in a world full of death, Ellen, and you just need to come to terms with it and deal. Sorry, I got a little hairy back there. Hormonal roller coaster is in here. (laughs) Moving on. But anyway, the other three follow him to the carriage, still thinking he might be going a bit cuckoo bananas because they don't see shit. But before they can climb into their magic uber pool, the blonde girl already sitting in the carriage speaks up. We are kind of in a similar spot, but still not really here. Still, yeah. Because they are towards the carriages now. Mm-hmm. The grouping of people is slightly different because they've got Ginny. Yeah. And Neville. Check. And then Luna finds them with Pig. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the biggest difference here is that they already know who Luna is. She's not just some random blonde girl in a carriage. Yeah, exactly. So Ron takes Pig from Luna. They all make their way to a carriage. And Harry's just like, but that strange horse thing that's pulling the carriage. And Ron's wondering if Harry's feeling all right. And Harry's just <laughs> dumbfoundedly staring at this creature that he's never seen before now and right? has no clue what's going on. Nobody else can see it, apparently, until Luna speaks up mm-hmm. and tells him that she can see them, too. She actually tells him that they've always pulled the carriage. Uh-huh. So he just apparently wasn't able to see them before. Yeah. And now he can. But she's always been able to see them. They've always been there. And he's just as sane as she is. Which does nothing to make Harry feel better. Yeah, that's not a way to reassure somebody. (laughs) Those are about the least comforting words that she could have used, actually. In this moment, yes. Now, as we come to meet Luna and learn more about her, it's actually like, 
a really nice thing to hear. Yes. But for right now, when we don't know her. <laughs> thus far. And she seems like an airheady, <laughs> yes, <laughs> laughing at alliteration. And she just seems like us, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, not really that reassuring at this moment. And this is actually nearly the same in the movie, except that we have no idea who the blonde girl actually is, like we said. Right. Like you said, Mm -hmm. character building ahead of time. What? We don't want to do that. But in the movie, as she talks, she lowers the upside down magazine she's reading. Ding. Mm Mm-hmm. And she tells Harry that he isn't going mad because she sees them too. And again, not exactly a ringing endorsement of sanity, but... Better than nothing, I suppose. Yeah, and like we mentioned last week, meeting her ahead of time made a bigger impact because there were more opportunities to see just how er, unique and odd she is. Mm Mm-hmm. Like a snowflake. Though I gotta say, as brief first impressions go, she really did cram as much crazy into that one line in the movie as possible. Yeah. We will talk more about Ivana Lynch probably each scene she's in because she's fucking fantastic but we do want to briefly talk about her introduction as luna lovegood here because holy shit girl's incredible shit i absolutely love the fact that she was just discovered at an open call yeah that's incredible to me i think about what life would be like had they tried to find someone who was already an established child actor and i'm just like thank god yeah because she just is luna lovegood she is straight up luna lovegood the only thing that i thought was a little bit Hollywoodized was her hair. Yeah. Because they described it as straggly and dirty blonde in the book. Yeah. And, and it this, was... It was much more platinum. It was much more platinum yeah. and not quite straggly. It was kind of pretty. Mm-hmm. And she's a gorgeous girl. She absolutely is. You know. But she just was she Luna. She just straight up everything about her. She was just Luna. Her eyes, just that glossy kind of look in her eyes. You're just as sane as, as I, I am. am. The lilt in her voice. Very sing-songy. Oh, my. Definitely came across crazy. God. And the fact that she was a fan when she got into all... That's what I say, man. You got to read the books. Right? If you're going to be in a goddamn movie about a book, read the fucking book, man. She nailed this character. She was Luna. She nailed it. It was incredible. And I don't think we could physically watch another scene with her in it and not talk about how great she is because literally every time she's on screen it's fucking phenomenal everything should ah, ah, have i mentioned i love her yet because i love her she was great loved her too avana lynch is amazing we also saw matthew lewis return as neville longbottom we did but as he has far better scenes than this one we're just going to end up talking more about him later on too yeah it was really just Hi, here's my weird cactus plant. With elephantitis. Yes. (laughs) So moving on. We also saw the return of Tom Felton as Draco Malfoy, plus Jamie Wylett as Crab and Josh Herdman as Goyle. But we didn't get a whole lot out of them. Yeah, again. I mean, we got something out of Draco. Tom did wonderfully. As always. As always. Josh and Jamie were wonderfully slithery boulders slither- behind Malfoy. <laughs> boulders, thank you very much. It's, they were wonderfully bookended, really. Yes. <laughs> but there's so much more to them coming up. Yeah, we'll just really try to focus on that later. Yeah, definitely. We'll get opportunities mm-hmm. sprinkled in throughout or at the end in this yes. culmination. 
But that'll bring us to this week's Potter Pondering. Would you rather be able to see a Thestral or just, you know, live in ignorant bliss thinking that a carriage is being pulled on its own? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. You can also stitch your response on TikTok. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. This will bring us to our sorting hat story, which is from Michael Vanderslice, who just recently celebrated his birthday. Yay! So we wanted to give him a shout out for that. Happy birthday, Michael. Happy birthday, sir. If you keepers pay attention to our Trivia Tuesday posts, he has the most entertaining answers that are usually inaccurate, but accurately hilarious. Definitely. For his Sorting Hat story, he writes, I am a Ravenclaw. I forget what my wand is, and I think my Patronus is an otter. I took the quiz like 10 years ago, but can't remember my password. Having age highlights in my hair is hell. But I'm sticking with my Patronus being an otter because they are cute and smart like me. I consider myself like Neville. I get better with age. I got into Harry Potter due to my wife. She would be reading the books, and I remember her having to get the last book when it came out. I've read the first three books, but have watched each movie about 29 times each. I've learned so much through you guys, and I'm like, dang it, I'm missing so much by not reading the books. Yes, you are. (laughs) Age highlights. (laughs) I like that. I love that he's basically reading the books through us at this point, though. Mm -hmm. It's a really good thing we're overly detailed. That is very true. (laughs) But anyway, thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us, Michael. Yes, thank you. And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else that you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. This week's trivia question is... Who is the first student that McGonagall calls to put on the sorting hat in the Order of the Phoenix? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word hashtag Gryffindor will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. Make sure to check out our website at justkeeprolling.com and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you would like to help us continue creating more content, you can support us as a patron and get extra perks on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And join us next week when we talk about the first half of Chapter 11, the Sorting Hat's new song, and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just just keep keep rolling. rolling.